It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. Carcon Carney. Hi, I'm James Van Ossel, still in quarantine, sheltering in place. Uh, I'll introduce my guest in a few, but first, Carcon Carney, sponsored by CNH Financial Services. CNH offers a variety of products, ranging from traditional merchant accounts to a zero cost payment processing solution, which eliminates expenses tied to accepting credit cards. CNH also offers cost effective commercial lending programs, which can help you get your business the money it needs to make it through these unprecedented, nay, dystopian times. To learn more, contact CNH Financial Services at 855-600-2437 or go to chfs.us. I also want to thank Happy to Meet You restaurant, steakhouse quality meat, meat, chicken, ribs, pork chops delivered right to your front door. Master Chef Scott Fisher, this is his venture. It is you can trust him. He's a master chef. And uh, all week long, I've been letting people know that I've got my own promo code, which clearly means I've arrived. JVO, which gives you free local city and suburban delivery to your door. Use that. Have the food delivered to you. I got a text from a friend of mine earlier today saying your sponsor couldn't have been a nicer guy when he delivered our order. The boyfriend loved the steak and the mother chucker burger. The mother chucker burger. I had that a couple nights ago. It is ridiculous. It's it really is like eating at a restaurant. And since we're all cooking at home, we're all cooking more than we ever have in our entire lives. Why not do something indulgent and delicious? Happy to meet you. It's happy to meet you, the letter you.com. And at some point during this podcast interview, uh, my, my wonderful son will bring up tonight's sampling from happy to meet you. He loves cooking. So he uh, put tonight's steak on the smoker. He's uh, searing it off right now. So it's going to be a, a surprise guest visit for my son. I think, all that aside, my guest, oh my God, he what, what hasn't this guy done? It takes longer to write out this guy's resume than it does to actually do an interview with him. He is Martin Atkins. You know him as, well, I think I described you as a post-punk slash industrial hero, educator and author, uh, whose credentials include Pigface, Public Image Limited, Killing Joke, Ministry, The Damage Manual, and Nine Inch Nails. As an author, he's written the indispensable Tour Smart, Band Smart, and Welcome to the Music Business, You're Fucked, Martin Atkins. Nice to see you again. Fucking hell. Fucking hell. Fucking hell. I mean, yeah, it's nice to see you, but it's actually really nice to hear your voice because you you have a radio voice. I don't know what I sound like, but you've got... See, that's it. Radio, guys, you've always got the low end dialed in like, hey. Let me I, I don't think I have a radio voice at all. I mean, well, you, you've got that... You're, you're a Coventry lad. You've got that... For some reason, people from England sound more... I don't know, dignified and distinguished just by virtue of the accent from where they're from. I think you meant educated as well. I don't know if you had educated, that. absolutely educated. That's exactly but, what I meant. But I mean, honestly, I, I now uh, I have my master's degree, but honestly, you can get away with a lot of shit with an English accent. That's for sure. For sure. Uh, I do. I, I mentioned that food would be arriving. Uh, here it is. Just one one more quick plug because this food is ridiculous. I'm sorry to take away from you, Martin, but happy to meet you. Look at this. Yeah, oh. the the 18 year old cooked this. He did a marvelous job with this. So, so I'm going to furtively eat this as we talk tonight, Martin. So can I ask you? Uh, because this this sounds like a really good thing. What is it? Happy to meet M E A T. Happy. Yeah, it's, a, it's a homophone. M E A T. Okay. Yeah. 
and, and promo code JVO this week. Does that work? Guests, did, can guests use like a double value to code? No, okay. No, no. It, it, it's I'll, just I'll, one week. I'm going to check it out. It sounds great. It is, it is delicious. And thank you. You're, you're a wonderful supporter. So you've literally written the books on how to be a touring band, how to be a professional musician. Tour smart, band smart. We're in a period where bands, a lot of them, musicians, don't know what to do next, don't know where to go, how to, how to move forward with their careers. And there certainly is no blueprint. There is no COVID smart from Martin Atkins. So while it's I have you here, say that. <laughs> really? No, no, no. Uh, but while I have you here, and, and since I do have a lot of musicians who watch this every night, what, what, what advice can you give? Is it even too early to, to formulate advice? No. So I'm going to tell you if you... Uh, Oh, you can eat some stuff while I just start rambling. I'm going to put myself on mute because um, uh, <clears throat> because a lot of the stuff that I do, people will say, "Oh, that's fucking genius." I'm like, no, no, it's actually I'm 61 years old now, and I've been I've been doing this since I was nine, right? So uh, I've just stumbled and bumbled into a bunch of things and forgotten them, got drunk, got sober, remember them again, right? So. Uh, let me let me take you through this story. Um, we we you know I teach down at Millican University in Decatur, Illinois, in the music industry program there, and um, we started doing um, a music industry conference um, to bring people together as a practical thing for the students to you know. My idea was like fuck music conferences, make one, you know, and. Um, uh, so in March, right, just as you were saying, was it March 12th, we were getting ready for our May the 9th yearly conference. And it's like, well, we, we just can't do this, right? We can't in good conscience try and magnetize a bunch of people to come to a beautiful campus. And it seemed like the more successful we were at doing that, the worse the, worse the outcome would be. So we canceled it. <clears throat> and I said, because I'm teaching students in the middle of the semester, let's just do like a weekly thing, you know? So Galen Lee came on, um, a bunch of different people came on uh, to do like an hourly weekly version of MMX, Midwest Music Expo. And we got the hang of Zoom. It was like, you know, at first it's like, oh, fuck, we, we can't do this. But it's like, well, we, well, we did it. This is all right. We've got this Zoom thing. We didn't look like idiots. It wasn't like like you see on CNN sometimes. People oh just God. glitching out. I hope I'm not glitching out. So far, so and good. And once we got the hang of it, I said, after a couple of weeks, I'm like, you know what? I think we should do the conference, but virtually, you know. And, and honestly, I think I was just trying to give the students a big, shiny object. Look. Things might seem bad, but we are so lucky. Uh, meanwhile, I'm shitting my pants. <laughs> but so, so I reached out to Wendy Day, who is, I think, accepted to be the person responsible for getting Eminem signed. She's sold like a, a billion dollars worth of music from the acts that she's worked with. I'm like, Wendy, would you do a thing? She's like, fuck yeah, I'll do a thing. Uh, Randy Blythe from Lamb of God has a book out. Um, he talked about his sobriety. I called Lol Tolhurst from The Cure, who, who actually did an event with me in Chicago years ago. 
And um, I'm like, would you do a thing? It's like, oh, yeah, I'll give you an hour. I'm like, well, hold on a minute. The lineup has come together quite easily with no expense. Nobody's flying in from anywhere. And so <clears throat> we, we made it a free event and we tripled registrations over the year before. So this is May the 9th of this year. And I would call it, you know, what a blessing because I'm sitting there going, well, everything's fucked, but not every single thing is fucked, you know? And so I decided right then and there, I'm like, um, I'm going to keep doing this over the summer. So um, we, I, I got seven students together uh, to be like interns and uh, we kept the series going throughout the summer. Uh, I started doing workshops for uh, a club out in Massachusetts called Once in Somerville. Started a great relationship with, with those people. Um, I started teaching online touring classes um, on a Monday night. I had such a crazy response. We added a Saturday because there are people from all over the world, um, New Zealand, Australia, El Salvador, Chile, Brazil, Germany, Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. Um, so so uh, and on every one of these events, we're uh, accumulating relationships. And then um, I started to do events about my time in public image to discipline myself to create um, and organize memories for specific time periods, like the first American tour, the first Japanese tour, the Australian tour in 84, 85, the recording of Flowers of Romance, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we just started to get um, hundreds of people on these calls. And so we went from using the, the, the I forget which is which, the webinar format, in, in Zoom, where it's just like, I'm the presenter and everybody right. fuck off, to the meeting format where everybody, uh, as long as they're on good behavior, everybody can unmute themselves and we can chat. So then we start and we do the same thing with the touring class. And I am getting to my point. Then we start to have an hour long chat after my event. And so when I hear people saying, we can't do shows, I wish things would get back to the way they were. Well, they're not going back to the way they were. And, and here's why. Even, even once everything's okay, for me, when we go out with Pigface again, and we had 42 shows canceled. All of the immigration and work permits, the buses, everything was in place for 90% of the people who were involved in the Fook album recreating it. Um, but when we go back out, I'm going to be doing a Zoom call in the afternoon and a Zoom session afterwards, and there'll be five cameras on stage. We'll be live Zooming, talking to people all over the world, as well as the people who are in front of the stage. So uh, I don't think anything will be the same again. I see Metallica playing 300 drive-in theaters on Saturday. Uh, Garth Brooks, who isn't my yardstick of anything except fucked up hats, uh, he made $13.5 million 
playing drive-ins a couple of weeks ago. So I think that's testament to the creative spirit, the entrepreneurial ability to pivot. Without a doubt. But for the independent artist who, who's listening and thinking, well, shit, I'm not Metallica. I'm not Garth Brooks. I can't, I can't do something at a drive-in. I can't pull like that. What does someone like that do? Well, the, well, honestly, the pressure's off because an independent artist, the worst thing an independent artist could do is play a venue that's too big, right? So, <laughs> so um, I called my friend Shannon Curtis, um, who works with Jamie Hill. Um, um, uh, I think, oh, she's, her, her artist's name is Shannon Curtis. She wrote a book about house concerts. And I called her, she did one of our MMX events. I called her and I was expecting, you know, hey, how's it going? And I, I waited for like, here we go. I'm ready for like 10 minutes of let me tell you all of the problems that this has created. And she's like, it's fucking brilliant. We're doing a virtual house concert every night. We, we're coming to the end of a 40 night run. And although some of the groups are smaller, maybe, you know, 15 people in someone's garden, um, at the, at the other end of the broadcast, they've refined uh, their music. They found it um, easy to dedicate two or three hours to these concerts and they're making money and doing well. And here's the thing, building their audience incrementally. So <coughs> um, I know she did eight concerts in the Seattle area to 10, 15, 20 people remotely. Well, so now, Next year, whenever, two years from now, when she goes back to Seattle, there's a couple of hundred people that she's connected with, talked with for half an hour, an hour afterwards, who feel connected with her. Now it's going to be easier for her to magnetize those people to a 400 capacity venue in Seattle. So um, I think it's a time for, uh, and, and Dino, Dean Schlabowski from, from uh, uh, John Langford's band, uh, what are they called? Waco Brothers. He did a series of coffee in the morning with Dino and he would do like five songs. I think he did it most mornings and each, each morning was dedicated to a local venue like the hideout. Yes. So all the proceeds went to the hideout. So, I mean, if you're sitting home, like I could be sitting, well, I am sitting home. <laughs> I could be sitting home, like <laughs> but it's it's not possible for me to put twenty seven people, Danny Carey, Greta Brinkman, Charles Levi, Curse Mackey, uh, fucking everybody in Pigface. We can't. It's not even safe for for us to twenty seven people to be on stage together. <laughs> and but and I can cry about that, and I have, but I can connect with people. I, I can I can strengthen the connections that exist and find new ones. You know, I think it's if if your game is is complaining, then you're fucked. I mean, you know, I could be complaining because it's not the eighties. Fuck it, thank God it's not the eighties. Except that I, I swear the drugs were so much better. But um, if you're looking backwards and complaining, you're totally fucked. You know, uh, but. The, I say this all the time in, in my other stuff. The only constant thing has always been change. So here it is. Um, embrace it. Find your way through it. 
um, you don't have to recreate a five drummer show uh, uh, on Zoom because you can't. You can't sweat through Zoom. You can't. I mean, I bleed and spit and punch things on stage. That's not safe to do anyway. But there's no way to recreate that with Zoom. But you can create these connections and find other ways. I, I agree with that. And a lot of what you're saying mirrors or echoes themes we've talked about on this podcast since March. Things are different. Things may not revert back to the way they were. And if they do, it'll be some time. So I, I think it's acceptable to have a, a period of mourning for the loss of what was. I think it's okay to be upset. I think it's okay to have days where you're like, fuck, this is really hard. This is terrible. But to your point, I think it's also important to to drive on through it and, and find a way to pivot and figure out we're, we're in a creative community. What's the creative way you can navigate through this? Not easy, but this is the creative spirit it finds it tends to find a way to get through this stuff. Right. That, that's what's been exciting for me. So can I tell you a parallel story? Yes. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm friends with, I love the people up at uh, dark matter coffee here in Chicago. And, um, <clears throat> uh, we, we, they do that might get the fuck out of bed coffee and, uh, um, we saw them at South by Southwest and at the three Floyds thing, they helped with the um, hope for the day, suicide awareness mm-hmm. and prevention. Um, I, I took um, uh, Jesse and Kyle to see Galen Lee at Google. And they were so proud about everything that they're doing to help people. And they're sitting next to me and Galen is talking about disability accessibility rights. And Jesse's like, Oh fuck they do a block party every year to benefit the community. The stage isn't accessible. We feel terrible. So, but I went up to see them, I think on March the 11th or 12th and I was just grabbing some coffee and saying hi. And um, I left feeling the fear and panic and uh, the, they, they felt like frozen in, in the enormity of what was coming. 110 employees, seven yeah. stores. Um, and, and I made a $100 donation to their employee fund, which is like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, there's 100. And on the drive home, I'm thinking, well, that's fucking meaningless, right? I mean, you know, I've got four kids. I can't donate $100 yeah. to many things. But to, to realize, I'm like, well, that was just – fucking meaningless really what is that like seven, 70 cents each you go i got you but by the time i got home i called james tenner uh he he raps under the name james west i'm like hey you know my get the fuck out of bed bag design he's like yeah i'm like well, do one the size of this bag i'm gonna send you that says stay the fuck inside he's like all right within um Within two days, we had these bags that said, stay the fucking side. Uh, I printed 300 and signed, well, I printed 100, signed them because I'm like, I, I think that puts energy into things sure. and took them to dark matter because I'd heard Jesse say, we're fucking sitting here with 30,000 pounds of coffee, right? And um, over the next eight days, they sold 300 of those bags 
They, they took more coffee than the regular bags and they paired it with a bag of my get the fuck out of bed. But 300 bags, 300 combos at 50 a piece is $15,000. That's amazing. It's a fucking brown paper bag. That I went <laughs> like that and screen printed. And my, me taking their stress just stress on board and have and shitting it out in the form of these bags gave them i don't know if it was the the financial uh, uh boost or just the fact that it's like look this fucker's printing bags there's there's hope right i don't know exactly but, but um but just a simple task and at the same time much more than the money i gave them the repetitive act of printing these fucking stupid brown paper bags, really, let's be honest. But boom, it kind of soothed me. Like I'm doing something, I'm doing something, I'm doing something. And um, so after that, I call that the dark matter equation. Finding this thing where a little bit of effort and creative energy equals a lot of benefit. And then I call up uh, James West again, I'm like, do you know that design we did? He's like, yeah. Is there something wrong? I'm like, no, I want you to do get the fuck in the shower. You filthy bastard coffee with, with a, a little cartoon bar of soap. And I call my friend down in Decatur, Illinois, who has a place called the art farm, most amazing lamps. I've got like five of these lamps killing me. Uh, Cause she makes coffee, uh, uh, goat's milk soap using dark matter coffee grounds. That's Sounds cool. So then we put, we seal in plastic and we put the coffee bean shaped coffee flavored soap inside the bag of get the fuck in the shower, you filthy bastard. And I just, I just got a message from Jesse a couple of minutes ago because the third bag in the series is brush the fuck out of your teeth. And it comes with a toothbrush, a little tube of toothpaste. And not only is the bag printed, but the box that the bamboo toothbrush comes in is printed as well. And um, I call it art in a time of crisis, you know, and it's just simple shit that makes a difference. And um, I think it's just helpful for people to see something as silly and simple as that, some brown paper bags. And then we sent, we sent stuff to, all over the country to a bar in Tokyo. Um, uh, Busy Beaver Buttons sent me 200 buttons that say, stay the fucking side. We've done stay the fucking side shirts for a bar in Tulsa, a bar in Brooklyn, uh, Detroit, uh, um, over at Reggie's, a bar in New Orleans, and uh, just had this thing fuel itself. So when it when a little bit of creativity can go a long way, mm-hmm. I feel like it's, it's our responsibility to keep doing that. But my message is you can do something really simple that you might not think would help, but if you find the place where you can help, um, it, it's, it, it's kind of glorious. Like um, there's a, there's a bakery called pie pie, my darling. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that place. I, I do the best pie pie shop name ever. Okay, yeah, um, but they've got these amazing uh, cookies. They're heart-shaped cookies, 
and against the red icing, they pipe in cursive, fuck racism. And just the, the juxtaposition of oh, that essential message with this amazing cookie. It's like, wow, could, should I eat it or do I need to frame it? And um, uh, so I reached out to them. I'm like, hey, do you want some fucking shirts? You know, I mean, um, it's a time for connecting. I, I know what you, I, I like that you said it's okay to have a bad day, but I don't think it, well, it's okay to do whatever you want, really. But I think if you can, sometimes I'll say, sometimes all you can do is the dishes, you know, do something. Sometimes that activity will give you a little bit of relaxation instead of sitting there freaking out. Ah, like, well, fuck. at least I, while you're doing the dishes, you might have an idea because your body is active. I, I swear that is the, the truth. I, one of the most, not even revolutionary, but one of the biggest changes I've made recently, I'm going on walks on a regular basis, taking myself for anywhere between 90 minutes and three, three hour long walks. I feel I'm more creative because of it. And just detaching from all this, all the news, all the social media, the, the doom scrolling has been one of the healthiest thing, things I could do. And I, just feeding your creativity, just kind of being alone with your thoughts and letting your mind play itself out is I think incredibly helpful. Right. And I think that's, um, uh, that's been one of the casualties for me of, of all of this ridiculous online activity um, is that uh, I'm either preparing for a class or a presentation or I'm presenting. And, um, you know, before, during and after pig face last year, I was in the best shape of my life. It's one of the reasons I enjoyed it so much. You know, I'm a drummer. Yeah. And um, uh, so that's next for me is to, to look at, um, finding some time um, for me to, to get back in shape, really. I think that one of the overarching messages that, that is worth retaining, if, if you are a musician watching this, the need to pivot, the need to find that, that next creative impulse and nurture it, because it's not February anymore. And how can you move forward? And what, what can you try? Take, take some chances. Well, and I think it's also... I, I just, I get into arguments with people. So I, I teach in a school of music, which is all about music, getting better and making more music and getting better. And I, I'm really of the opinion, like, I don't give a fuck what your music sounds like. If I like you, or I like what you're doing. I'll try and find a way of helping you, you know? And, you know, I, I mentioned Shannon Curtis before. Um, I've done events with her and Jamie. Uh, I've talked about their book a lot. I've never heard her music. I don't give a fuck. So if, if artists are out there thinking, um, it's all about my music, how can I get my music? All the music does anyway, if it's good, is form a connection with people. Mm -hmm. So if you just put the, put the music in the 27 people on stage, pig face experience, put that off to the side. How can I connect with people? You know, and maybe it's not you pushing anything. It's you pulling somebody else along, helping somebody else um, and, and finding a, a different thing. There's, there's lots of needs. Like, you know, uh, childcare, 
children, the album cover you were thinking of doing and the $500 budget you had for an artist, have them do a coloring book, you know, and, and, and instead of just, uh, here's our album, what do you think? Here's our album, it's a coloring book, fucking 50 parents will buy it. You know, and and then and then and then their kids will use the coloring book, and then they'll feel this connection. That band's fucking great. There was one night we were losing our minds, and we remembered we bought this shitty album by the shitty band that was a coloring book, and our kids love it. And actually, we kind of like the music now. We're going to go and see them. We've got VIP tickets to their show next year. That's how shit happens, That's not so by true. people. Not by people listening to your music and loving the tone of the bass. Well, it, it's like the, the retail adage. People always remember how you make them feel. And yes, music music's important. That, that's the core of what you are as, as a musician, is the songs you create. But how those connections and how you what people walk away feeling after experiencing what you're offering is that that's the key right there. Right. And I found this uh, um, a reciprocity or a karma or something. I don't know. So I did it. One of the first things I did in, uh, was it March? Fuck. March or April? April maybe April. Was a- I, I got to stop laughing every time you say fuck, but you say it so, you punctuate it so beautifully that, that it just, it makes me smile every time. Fucking well, thank A. You. <laughs> thank you. Um, I did a screen printing workshop, like a free thing. And I just jumped, look, this is really simple. I, I think it was, it might've been before I even made the first bag, um, the stay the fucking side bag. And um, I got an email from this woman in Brooklyn. She said, my friend um, is from the free theater in Norway, Brendan. He met you four years ago. And I was kind of depressed. He said, I think he must have been at a loss because he said to her, well, what you need to do, uh, Martin has got a free screen printing workshop this afternoon. And he says, fuck a lot. You should, if you're bored, you should watch it. And she kind of reluctantly watched this screen printing workshop. It turns out her bar, uh, Halloran's bar in Brooklyn was kind of in trouble, right? Because everywhere was closed. And she said, she she saw me doing this like stuff that anybody could do printing. And so she took the bar's anchor logo and just started printing their, their bar towels, right? And then her partner, they're, they're right on the bay in Brooklyn. Her partner took old sailcloth, printed their anchor logo on it, cut it and stitched it into growler bags <laughs> that they sell for $60 a piece. Brilliant. And she's so, uh, and that's really cool. But I came home on Friday. Um, it's, it's got to be a couple of months ago now. And I was really, I was just exhausted. I'm like, you know, we're helping a lot of people, but am I helping myself? Or I, I was just exhausted. I sat out in the garden and this big white envelope came and, and it was one of the bar towels. It was the first that I'd heard the story. Right. And she's like, you helped save our bar, you know? And wow. so suddenly this bit of effort I put out, came back as a package of karma to get me through the next week and to tell the story for other people, you know? So, I mean, I don't want to, I don't know how that sounds, um, but, but I think it's true. If you can help people, um, 
it's all we do as musicians anyway. You, you, you're trying to create a night where everybody forgets all the shit. Yep. You know? And um, I, I just, man, I thought the, the thing, the thing that pisses me off at the moment is that the last show we did at Thalia Hall on December 1st was, I mean, fucking Rainbow Coalition on stage, Galen Lee um, uh, playing fiddle, um, uh, some some great uh, rappers from the south side of Chicago, from the Haven, um, Ad Two's uh, mentees, and it just felt it just felt glorious. And I wish we could go out and do that now. I would love to be doing that and mm-hmm. showing people that. Uh, unfortunately, we can't. So where where do you see things going? In my most horrific visions of what happens to live music, I picture a world where suddenly access, like first in, first out of the building, is something you pay premium prices for. Like what, what someone would pay for an artist meet and greet now First one in the venue, you get to leave in the first group of safety exits. I, I, I see safety measures turned into revenue generators. Well, yeah. I mean, that's uh, House of Blues do that with their, uh, what's it called? Uh, dinner and a, well, you, you, it seems like you're paying to have dinner before the, the boy band perform. But really, it's a device so screaming teenagers can throw the chicken into a trash can uh, but get access half an hour early. I right. mean, that, that stuff is going to happen. But, uh, I mean, all I know so, – so I have no fucking clue. But, yeah. but all, all I do know is that three weeks ago, I didn't know that Garth Brooks could make $13.5 million in a day. I didn't, there's no need for Metallica to be on, to do anything for a year or two, right. but they're, they're, they filmed a special concert um, and 300 drive-ins, some pop-up drive-ins and regular drive-ins mm-hmm. uh, are going to screen that on Saturday. And I'm interested to see what that does. Um, for myself, I can see like, well, hold on a minute. Bar Redux in New Orleans. I don't. We wouldn't fit Pigface in there just for a drink, standing at the bar. <laughs> it's it's tiny. I've uh-huh. done DJ sets on the back patio, me and fifty people. It's it's what a fantastic night, right? But but we could do a Pigface show there virtually, right? Uh, with the starlight in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, with the hideout, with all kinds of places, we can forge these connections that would just be physically impossible. So if I'm, I'm extremely encouraged by the, the pivoting, by the, thought, the creative thought that um, individuals are putting forth. I saw uh, some kind of concert in the UK. It looked like a festival, but everybody's on like a, scaffolded drum riser, which I I just immediately thought that's so much work for the union scaffolding, (laughs) put put in the railing, like, you know, and I know local H um, 
if you haven't spoken to them recently, you might want to talk to them. Oh, I have. I, I went downstate to their first uh, drive-in show down yeah. over by Champagne. I mean, those guys have been fucking inspirational since they eBayed a concert 20 years ago, right? Uh, eBay totally agree. Totally agree. Know? And so, so that's what I like about the music business, not somebody's amazing song. I, lo- I love songs. I'm a musician myself, but it's that it's the thought it's the triumph in the face of adversity that's always got me going. That's that's every band I've been in. Well, this sound system sucks. Our guitarist has got diarrhea or food poisoning or heroin. Fucking, you know, it's it's always succeeding in the face of adversity. So it's Dude, like that's that's exactly it. It's it's what you make of it. I, I remember. I think it was Horde Festival. I remember like the jam band tour. I think it was Horde maybe in the nineties. And it was at the venue in Tinley park in Illinois, horrible torrential downpour, just deluge. Neil Young was playing the, all, all the amps went out. Like the sound system crashed. The only thing that was intact was his stage monitor, turned it around, faced it to the crowd. And for those who were there, it was one of the most iconic, memorable sets ever. People, people don't remember when things are perfect, but they remember when you you play through something like that. Right. And, And, and that's 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 all it's ever been. So, you know, but then of course musicians go, oh, memorable. Then we need fireworks. And no, no, just talk to people. You know, after a pig face show, I'm I'll say hi to everybody and anybody. But pretty soon after a show, I am so fucking spent. Yeah. I'm in my bunk, ibuprofen rubbing cbd oil on my hands knees cut knuckles from punching the mirror ball and probably crying crying and cramping you know now i have an opportunity to talk to people and um uh, it's just a different kind of special so i think you should write a book about this yeah seems like covid fucking covid all right let's talk a little bit about your expansive career before i let you go it'd be criminal to not talk about all that you've done you mentioned writing about being in public image um the book which we're anxiously awaiting to see in some way shape or form memories my time in and out of public image limited 1979 to 1985 you were you were definitely in and out of there how many times were you fired from public image uh twice first time I mean, I'm amazed that I was amazed that I was fired. I mean, that's one of the things, right? As I present these different periods, people will give me photographs and memorabilia and their memories of certain events. But I did a radio interview in San Francisco where it was the the night before the last gig. And I had my band, my punk band, Brian Brain, had a single in the alternative charts in the UK. And I asked the radio interviewer, to ask me why, it, with me being in pill, why did it have Brian Brain as well, right? And I answered on the air. They, they asked me the question, and I answered on the air, I want to do one thing musically that isn't a catastrophic, disorganized shambles, you know? And I got into a fist fight with John, you know? And, you really? Yeah. Uh, and, um, I mean... But honestly, for like, for a long time, I was amazed that I got fired two weeks after we got home. And, uh, but then um, uh, I went back with them to work on the Flowers of Romance. 
which Keith Levine will describes that as a, he was only a session musician, which I dispute because you pay session musicians. Thank goodness I have all my co-writes on that album. And then um, <clears throat> I rejoined in New York City uh, in, in like 82, I think. Uh, well, John Lydon has always been portrayed as mercurial, uh, but also back in those early pill days, I mean, you were still kids. I mean, you were a kid when you started with Public Image. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a level of maturity that no one in the band had hit at that point. Right. I, I mean, I think I was 19. Um, I mean, like, I look at my kids now. Ian, my eldest, is 25. Harrison's 23. I'm like, fuck, you know, like, um, uh, yeah, we, we were children and uh, had some interesting conversations with Keith. Um, we got into it about the studio in New York and, and this and that, and this and that. And he started to have a go at me, which is one of his favorite things to do, which I, I don't really tolerate anymore. But um, I said, Keith, I was fucking 20. Right. And he said, Martin, I was 21. And it was, it was kind of this, uh, it was a really, str- it was the longest we've spoken ever. It's like two and a half hours we were, we were Zooming. And um, it, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. But I'm I'm looking forward to finishing that book. Um, it's got to be hard to because it was so long ago. I mean, did you keep good notes from that that period? Yeah, I, I have my diaries. I have the tour itineraries, and and here's a strange thing. Like when was it? 1980. Fuck, 40 years ago. But, but it's strange to look back on a, a period four decades ago. And I've got my diaries. I've got my memories. I've got Wobble's book, Pete Jones's book. John's books are full of shit, but they exist nonetheless. Um, but then you've also got all of these reviews, you yeah. know, and, and photographs from in stores that I've never seen, uh, memories from people who work with us, like uh, uh, like uh, Bruce from Virgin Records in Australia. I Zoomed with him um, a few weeks ago talking about the Australian tour. And so you start to piece together this almost like a Rashomon um, uh, of, of everybody's memories and, and photographs and memorabilia. And it's, it's been kind of special. Yeah. I bet it's been kind of fun to relive that. Yeah. I, I've got to think the American bandstand appearance is a chapter in and of itself. Um, yes. Uh, there's one photograph of Dick Clark, which is almost a chapter in and of itself. <laughs> I still have the sign, the printed sign from the door. I still have my check stub from Dick Clark. I had to cash the check when things got rough. Um, wish I'd kept that. But, um, uh, but and, and, and some, some of these memories haven't materialized the way I might have thought they would. And um, uh, Flea auditioning for Pill is a great memory, but it's, it's enmeshed in my time in Los Angeles, um, which has some some pretty bitter um, moments where I wish I'd acted differently. And sure. uh, uh, so, so I mean, one episode, I, w- I was in tears for like three days and, and, and kind of worked my way through this, trying to find a silver lining um, in this situation. And, and I decided that um, all I could do was describe this situation and, and not be silent in the future. And, and try and inspire my kids not to be silent. And um, uh, so it's, it's been, I think, harrowing, 
where like some of it's like great here's a picture of you know christmas day in sydney harbor and yeah big cans of fosters and and it's like a a slideshow of photo, holiday pictures but some of it has been harrowing you know uh but it's been great and the zoom sessions we've done have been really terrific i think my first exposure to public image just based on my age and I was exposed to music back then was probably this is what you want. I, obviously I went back and experienced everything else, but what are your thoughts on that album? Um, what well, I hear, uh, uh, that was just John and me uh, at that point. Um, it sounds, uh, it, it's easy to say, with the horn, oh, this is not a love song. Was the biggest single the band have ever had. Still, mm -hmm. um, uh, bigger than Seattle. Yeah, it's the biggest song. Yeah, crazy. Okay. Um, so I think you know back back in uh, what was it eighty three maybe eighty four, um, there was less going on, <laughs> right? Um, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I, I like some of the other stuff after I left. But um, yeah, that's, it's, it's our biggest single. And um, so we started off, you've got the experimentation of the Flowers of Romance, uh, Metal Box. Um, so by the time we got to This Is What You Want, This Is What You Get, or Commercial Zone, because we all made both of those albums. Um, we were musicians and producers and what everybody did back then, early 80s, was you put a horn section on stuff. Al Jorgensen did it with Cold. Bibbidi-bib, life. Bibbidi-bib, right? Uh, uh, Heaven 17, they were fucking really left of center, ultra hip. They worked on Tina Turner's comeback album, right? And nobody said, well, you fucking sell out pop motherfuckers. It was like, oh, wow, amazing, Tina Turner. Um, so we were trying to practice our studio pop producers craft, you know, and then you get to that point And once you get there, you can start to disassemble it. But, but this is what you want. This is what you get was experimentation and some pop stuff uh, going on too. We were in Trevor Horn's studio. So you had uh, two tribes go to war. Frankie says, well, I mean, it was, we were interested in sounds and production and low end and electronic drums and fucking around. Jumping around a little bit. I was going on one of my walks that I mentioned earlier and money is not our God by killing joke came on and I smiled. I thought, Martin, 1990, that was, that was, that was a fun, fun period for a lot of us. Uh, yeah, I, um, the money is not our God video at the Metro was the first scenery I made. I didn't um, know that. Uh, huge dollar bills. Yeah. I printed at our loft at 2024 South Wabash. The guys upstairs, I think either Steve Silver and Matt Schultz or the guys from HGON, they were on the fourth floor. We were on the third floor. HGON video was on the seventh floor. So you'd see Flavor Flav in the elevator with all these girls and bags of drugs because they were making a video. Yeah, so, boy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was a, like a crazy, crazy building. But I was on my hands and knees printing these huge swaths of white fabric. And we had so much. It was backdrops. It was draped all over the drum kits. People were making curtains out of it. 
uh, I still got pieces of, of that scenery. And uh, Jordi and I did the demo for Money Is Not Our God with Steve Albini. I might still have the eight track. I've got, oh I have God. Steve Albini's tape machines now. So if I can find that eight track, I should, I should fire it up. And see. Yes, you should. But I, I still enjoy that album, Extremities, Dirt, and Various Repressed Emotions. Well, here's a track for you. If you were to play Age of Greed, um, I forget, Jessica at Chicago Tracks. We were in London recording, and I'm like, I called Jessica up. I'm like, hey, 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 hey. I, we're doing a song about greed. There's a commercial on the TV. When was the last time you tried to attend a Juicy Steak? It was from like... I don't know what what meat company, and she recorded it. And, and she, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Just I to love back to meat at the end. Yeah, yeah. way to yeah keep that thread going. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, what happened to Invisible Records? Um, Invisible is still going. Um, so I started the label in 1988, um, and we released 350 albums. Because of the label, I started my studio. Um, we're just about, uh, you know, and towards the end of my excitement about the label, I went to China twice, recorded uh, an out China Dub Sound System album, which is actually kind of a lost pig face album, um, signed a bunch of bands. And then uh, Tour Smart came out and uh, I started teaching. I started speaking all over the world, Melbourne Music Week, Brazil, uh, five trips to Norway. And I just didn't have the time to be in the studio anymore. Um, but what's happening with the label now? We're putting a new console in the studio. Um, I have seven interns uh, from Millican University working with me on stuff. Um, we just reissued the Gub album like two years ago, remastered, uh, hand-screened, glow-in-the-dark inks, awesome. uh, signed and numbered. Um, the uh, we have a live album from the 2019 show at Thalia coming out. Oh, that's um, awesome! And we're remastering the Fook album. And then you know, I'm looking at Murder Inc., the Damage Manual, more Pig Face, uh, maybe a compilation double album. But the label is still very much uh, alive in my heart and, and about ready to, um, to have a little bit of a uh, I don't know interesting lap of honor or something. I don't know. I, I think that's great. And based on a lot of what we've been talking about tonight, I mean, your vision for product, innovative ways to present the common things, records and CDs are kind of common things. I'm kind of excited to see what you do. I'm excited to see what you do with the pig face live release. Uh, but with all this stuff, because it, it's nothing but opportunity. Well, I think once you, once you get that it's your job to surprise and delight people, then it's easy. You know, um, you know, we, we do a mystery bag um, uh, up, on, up on the site and it's a stay the fuck inside mystery bag. It's a brown bag and you can buy one for $8, 18, 28 or 108. The same thing is inside of them. It's just, if you, if you need a shirt in a printed bag signed by me and you don't have any money, do the, do the $8 one. If, if you're doing okay, choose the 18 or the $28 one. If things are fucking amazing, 
do me a favor, buy the $108. And we put all of that money back into doing other things to help people to send shirts to bars and stuff. But um, in every one of those bags, it doesn't say it on the website. I send a personalized note to people. Hey, Chris, thanks a fucking lot, mate. And we put a handful of candy in there and like stuff that we don't, it's not listed. You know, no one's going to complain if they don't get candy and, and a personalized note. But why wouldn't you take the time to say thank you? It's easy. I, I completely agree. It, you've always been one of the busiest guys I know. Um, it seems like you're busier now than ever when the entire world has put the brakes on. And for all the reasons we've discussed, uh, not surprising. I, I think you have a lot of great messages to share. A lot of points of view we're worth talking about. It, it's always a delight talking to you, Martin. Thank you. All right. So I'm going to wrap up the Facebook Live. I want to thank everyone who's uh, kind of popped in and out of there. <clears throat> I saw one line earlier. Let's see. I want to punch Leiden in the face. That didn't come from Martin Atkins. Hey, join um, the fucking club. Hey, could I, could I just mention at noon on Friday, we're doing our next MMX live. And that's going to be with Ad2, who has a fantastic, uh, I mean, a fantastic album out right now, uh, Jim Crow, the musical. It it's just seems to predict the situation we're in now, but it was released last year. Uh, if, if you're on the Facebook Live or if you're watching this on Facebook, Midwest Music Expo did post the Zoom link to that. Well, fucking students, thank you. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, let's see. Martin's book was full of good advice I've been using for my band. Also started my own obsession with kick-ass CD packaging. Thank you for band smart. Good deal. That's cool. And finally, Martin gets me and every other word is fuck. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, and if, if anybody wants to uh, jump on the, the free classes Monday night at six o'clock, uh, 60, 90 minute, it's free. And any, I think everybody gets tour smart and band smart for free. It's like, how many ways can I fuck myself? I don't know. Let's see. Um, uh, but it's like, look, no band is ever going to take any time to sit and absorb and learn this stuff when they can go out and gig. Right. right? So it's like, look, do yourself a favor. I've been doing this since I was nine. Tune into the Zoom. I'm sure Molly or a student will post a link. And the classes are free. And it's like, I'm still learning about stuff now. Oh, for sure. Who the fuck are you, listener, that you think you don't have anything to learn because you do? No, and if you're not learning something new as your career moves forward all the time, you're doing something wrong or you're not trying hard enough because I've been a broadcaster forever and I'm learning new things every week. Right. That's how it's done. All right. I'm going to stop the Facebook Live. Thank you, everybody, for watching there.